Father, we just look to you right now. Come on, just everybody join me, would you? And we ask you for a spirit of unity. We ask you for a grace to drop down on this congregation, a grace to set aside that which brings pleasure, that which is normal and natural and legal, and to choose you. A, a grace to look to your word and to look for your word, to look for bread from heaven. A grace to encourage and strengthen one another in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, we're excited about this at the Wolf House. We really are. And uh, so we've been reading some new books about it. I wanted to draw your attention to the kiosk. We're going to run that kiosk through the summit. Uh, And so that's where you would register this morning for the summit as well. Uh, And that's where you would pick up, if you didn't get the Daniel Fast, the corporate manual, that's where you would grab one of those this morning. Uh, and this gives you some instruction about food. It gives you an outline for prayer. Uh, it, there's, the, there's 21 days of devotion in this little book. So we want you to have that. And that's where you would buy the book we're all reading this morning. So if you haven't got that, uh, grab that on your way out. And also, the ushers have clipboards. Can you come to the front and just start right up here and pass them through? We have a clipboard this morning for prayer meetings. Uh, If you can commit to an extra prayer meeting, we want you to do that. Look at those dates. We'll have new dates and uh, new schedules that we'll put out every week, and we'll just pass these through. If it looks like something you can buy into, commit to, be a part of. Um, we're, We're encouraging you to embrace kind of the Daniel lifestyle, right? So this is the model of the Daniel fast is, is the prophet Daniel. And so uh, we're encouraging you to pray three times a day. Now, now, we do that. You would typically do that anyway if you weren't doing a Daniel fast, if you were doing a Jesus fast, if you were doing a full fast. The idea is that you're actually exchanging physical bread for spiritual bread, right? So how many of you have done just a normal water fast? So a lot of us have done like a water fast. And so at mealtime, what do you do? Mealtime is actually prayer time. It's word time and prayer time and it's time with the Lord, right? And so uh, likewise, we want to do the same thing in the Daniel fast. That's where we really, we really encourage you to make your meals simplistic. Don't get so exotic with meal preparation that it takes the place of prayer. In our house, we try to read some devotional thing around the table. Uh, We bring a prayer element uh, around the table. We involve the children around the table. So wherever we're together for a meal, uh, we want to incorporate some, some prayer time. But like, you know, if oftentimes for me, my pattern will be uh, to eat and maybe shorten my meal time and then go to the garage and pray for another 30 minutes or whatever. So, you know, the idea is that we're in pursuit of God. And the idea is that we're exchanging the bread for the stomach for the bread from heaven. Amen? Come on, everybody say, the bread from heaven is better. Yeah, that's true. You believe it? The bread from heaven is better. And uh, so that's what we're up to. And we're excited that you're, that you're going to be a part of it. Uh, if, you visit the, uh, if you visit the website as well, the nwsummit.org website, 
where the Daniel Fast is. The e-book is there. So if you lose your book at any time, the e-book is there. There's a PDF there. There's all sorts of stuff there. Access to a Facebook page, access to the blog, all sorts of things there that we want you to get into. I wanted to uh, minister out of 1 Samuel 15 today, so I gave those scriptures to the guys, but then uh, my eyes got drawn to 1 Samuel 13 too, so uh, let's jump in though. Father, we just welcome you uh, to quicken the word to our hearts, uh, speed it up, make it really fast. In Jesus' name, amen. We burnt up our preaching time. So I want to talk to you, first of all, yeah, the, 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 the title would be The Power of Humility, but I want to talk to you, first of all, about pride. How many of you know pride is a problem? You ever had a pride issue? Uh, I have often reflected to the Lord that, that there must be something that he knows about me that I don't even know with regard to the realm of pride because he's done such a great job of making sure I get humbled. You ever felt that way sometimes? It's like, Lord, you must know something about me. Pride. The life of, uh, the life of Saul is interesting. If we pick it up in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, and I don't know if we can go there on the screens, but I can read it to you because I've got it pulled up on my phone. I thought this was interesting. Uh, we see kind of the, we don't, we don't have a, a huge amount of history about Saul's battles. We know that Saul was a Benjamite. He was the son of uh, one from Kish. We know that he was anointed as the first king of Israel. We know that Samuel anointed him and poured out a flask of oil upon him. Uh, but we don't, you know, given his lifespan of leadership, uh, we don't know a ton about all of his victories and all of the cool things that he did and, and all of the things that transpired uh, because he actually reigned. If you want to pick it up in chapter 13, I'll read it to you. Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 42 years. So he reigns until he's 72. He reigns 42 years. That's a long time compared to what's written about him. That's a long time. But we know some things we know about him out of chapter 15 is we know that when he was selected, number one, he was super tall, handsome, uh, a a lot like me. Um, Just think of me when you think of Saul. No, I mean, this guy was huge. This guy was, he was massive. He was He was revered. He was looked to. But it's interesting that his perspective on himself was super small that he was from what was considered kind of the wimpiest tribe of Israel, not the coolest tribe. And he was, in his own confession, when, when he's anointed and when Samuel reminds him of this in chapter 15, he was the least of that tribe. So even though he was tall and handsome and set apart, head and shoulders above others, and others might have thought, that guy's amazing, it's weird when you walked up to him and engaged with him, what you found was a mouse instead of a man. It's kind of weird, isn't it? 
So they might have seen him as, as something, you know, from a distance, but then when they connected with him, they're like, something's odd. The character of this guy doesn't match his person. But Samuel anoints him. The people choose him. They say he should be the one. So the people choose him. Samuel anoints him. And, and when he goes to the mountain, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he is changed into another person. And so he functions out of the anointing. And his rule and his leadership and that which he's able to accomplish in those 42 years is out of the the anointing that comes upon him. It's the upon anointing. So he's changed into another man. So the Saul that you ran into after he's anointed of Samuel is a different Saul than you knew before. And he actually begins to walk out what the people desired of him or would have thought of him when they met him before. So the mouse becomes a man. That's good, yes? But it's interesting. You know, the proverb says a man will be tested by the praise he receives. You're not, you're not only tested in your poverty, you're not only tested in your trouble, you're not only test, tested in the things that come your way that are hard, but you're also tested in the praise you receive. You're tested in success. You're tested in victory. You're tested in breakthrough. Because sometimes what happens is when things begin to go good, when things begin to go according to the promise or according to the anointing or according to the goodness of God, it provides an opportunity for you to become a bit prideful. And this is what happened to Saul. And so, though we aren't given every detail of his 42 years of history, we are given some good detail about the end of his kingly leadership. One of those instances is in chapter 13. Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul in Mishmash in the hill country of Bethel, while 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. And he sent away the rest of the people, each to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines. It was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all of Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. Stinky. Wow, that's cool. The people were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people like the sandwiches on the seashore in abundance, and they came up and camped at Mishmash east of Beth-Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, that is, they were hard-pressed, and the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and in pits, and also some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan into Gad and Gilead. But for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and the people followed him trembling. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. So that's interesting. Samuel is involved in all of this. And Samuel, the representative of God, the prophet, Samuel is the voice of the Lord, the voice of breakthrough, the voice of coaching, the voice of wisdom. Like the representative of Jesus in our own lives, Samuel has a role with Saul. And it says that there was an appointed time where Saul would wait 
according to the appointed time set by Samuel, for sacrifice to be made, it says. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. And so Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Now Samuel's the prophet. Samuel's the one appointed by God. Samuel's the one raised up when Eli's house went sideways. Some of you remember that. There's an appointed time that Saul would wait to make sacrifice so that the word of the Lord over this particular battle would come. And on the very appointed day, he decides to move forward without Samuel and offers the burnt sacrifice on his own without the priest or without the prophet. And so just as he finishes, here comes Samuel. Isn't that interesting? I'm thinking, you know, this, and and again, what we're looking at, chapters 13 and chapters 15, is the demise of Saul. And what it is, it's the demise of pride. He was set apart, he was anointed, he was, he was gifted. We see he's, he probably had so many victories. The fact is, in chapter 15, it's interesting that even after what we're going to read in just a minute in chapter 13, he, after the victory of chapter 14, builds a monument to himself. He has a monument erected to himself. We see some things going sideways in Saul's life. And part of it is a disregard for the prophetic leadership. Part of it is a disregard for what God has said. And I think that Samuel actually lingered just long enough, actually. Sometimes God will linger just long enough. How many of you know what happens is that Sometimes the things we need to deal with in our lives start showing up when we're under pressure. Saul was beginning to feel the pressure of the people scattering. He's feeling the pressure of 30,000 Philistines gathering. He's feeling the pressure of, of this imminent either defeat or victory, but he's feeling the pressure of all of this. And Samuel lingers. Samuel doesn't show up. And where are they, by the way? Where are they? Where is all this taking place? It's taking place in Gilgal. It's a metaphoric picture for us to learn and to gain instruction. Gilgal is the city or the place that is called the circle. It's meant to go in a circle, and it is the first place of circumcision. This is where they were first circumcised when they came out of Egypt and were coming into the promised land. This is where Joshua was told to camp and to circumcise all of the males, and that's why it's called Gilgal. It's not meant just to go in a circle, but it's meant to say, here our flesh was cut off. Here we committed, we devoted ourselves to God. Here we set ourselves apart from sin. And where is, where is Saul being tested? He's being taught, tested in Gilgal. He's being tested in Gilgal, and he fails the test. Pride wins. Fear wins. Did you know pride can move us to fear? Or I mean fear can move us to pride? Most of the time, actually, we're being moved 
into selfish ambition or moved to do our own thing or moved to move ahead of God or moved to do it our way because of fear. When we listen to fear, when we give place to fear, pride can be on the heels of that, doing it our way. How many of you know that? So this is interesting. It says that Samuel didn't come. The people were scattering. He said, bring me the burnt offering. And so here comes Samuel right on the end of this. And he says in verse 11, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering and that you had not come within the appointed days. And the Philistines were assembling at Mishmash. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not asked for the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've acted foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. This is the first word of judgment. This is the first word of rejection. When we, when we walk in pride, when we allow pride, when we listen to pride, even if the excuse is a very rational, uh, 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 born of humanity, right? I'm only human. I'm only human. Even if it's born of just that humanity of giving place to fear, when we give place to fear or we allow fear to have its place or we or we allow pride to bring forth an influence to where we're moving outside of God, we're doing things in our own flesh, we're doing things in our own ambition, then pride, pride is coming forth and pride comes before a, pride comes before a fall, comes before trouble. They go on. We go into chapter 14. Uh, They had a great victory. Jonathan was a big part of that. You might remember that. Uh, Only Saul and Jonathan had weapons, by the way, because the Philistines were the ones making the weapons. And so they had a great victory in chapter 14. And then chapter 15, they were to destroy the Amalekites. And they didn't destroy the Amalekites fully, but instead they kept the choice spoils. He disobeys or disregards the leading of the Lord again. And now... Samuel's heart is grieved. God wakes Samuel up and says, I regret that I've chosen. I regret that we've anointed Saul. And it's interesting, God's heart is turned toward David. You remember this, and those of you that studied the passages, God's heart is turned toward David. And I think the reason that God's heart is turned toward David, well, I, I, I shouldn't say I think, what I've discovered in the Word is the reason that God's heart was turned toward David is because David gave place to God in humility. Acts chapter 13, verse 22 says that David has a heart after God. We might bring it up if we can find it. Acts chapter 13, 22. David had a heart after God in that he would do what God would want him to do. It's interesting that this is the second occurrence of hardness, of rebellion. Chapter 15, verse 23 is where we find that famous passage that to obey is better than sacrifice. 
to obey is better than sacrifice. This is, this is Samuel's word over Saul. Because Saul says, well, I, I, I was, I was going you know, to make some sacrifices. And Samuel says, no, to obey is better than sacrifice. Rebellion, pride is like witchcraft. Arrogance is like idolatry. The Lord doesn't want the Lord doesn't want a token. He wants all of you. He doesn't want a show that others will notice. He wants all of you. He doesn't want partial obedience in what he leads you to do. He wants full obedience. A sacrifice of partial obedience is pride, rebellion and arrogance. It's like manipulation. I'm going to do this much. Isn't this good, Father? How many of you that works with your children? But I did clean part of my room. That's great. But I said clean the whole room. But I did eat a fourth of my dinner. That's great. But I think the instruction was finish your plate. But I did partially apologize to my sister. That's good. But I think the instruction was fully apologize from your heart. How many of you know, even as we, as moms and dads, desire a fullness of obedience, even for the good of the child, that father desires a fullness of obedience, even for the good of the child? And so Acts 13.22, it says, and we're told, and this is, this is a New Testament reference uh, uh, that, that calls to mind an Old Testament reference. And, and it, it says there that David had a heart after God because he would do, he would do whatever God told him to do. Yeah, but David messed up. He sure did. And David sinned, yes. And that proves to you that God's not looking for peop, perfect people. He's looking for humble people. God is not looking, he's not demanding you be perfect. He is looking for you to be humble. When the prophet Nathan came to David, confronting him over the sin of Bathsheba, he could have had that prophet killed immediately. He could have, he could have rightfully and justifiably had his life taken or had him put in prison to be so bold to confront the king. But instead, his heart is rent and he admits, I'm the one. And Nathan immediately says, for this, God withholds judgment. There was a withholding of judgment. That's interesting. Haven't you done that in your own home? We've done that with our kids. We don't really want to give them the fullness of the discipline. If they'll change their hearts right now, we can just move forward. Discipline is to move the heart, yes? So as soon as a child shows humility, we can bless them. Yeah, but they just messed up. We can bless them because they showed humility. We can move forward in this relationship because they just, they just showed contrition of heart. Amen? Going as fast as I can and skipping through some stuff, but I encourage you to read some of this. What does pride do? Pride is a mocker. Pride is disobedient. Pride is independent. Pride thinks for itself. Pride puffs itself up. 
Pride is subversive to God and authority. Pride is deceptive. Pride is sneaky. Pride already knows. Pride wants to be seen. Pride has it all down already. Pride, therefore, has a closed ear. It has a stiff neck. It has a busy tongue. Pride won't listen. Pride postures itself. Pride interrupts before it hears. Pride answers with interruption. Pride is resisting God, resisting wisdom, resisting truth, resisting Father. So God has to resist those who walk in pride. But what is humility? Humility. Humility is total obedience. Humility is repentance on the other end of disobedience. Hello, somebody. Humility is reliance upon God. It's to lean into the union of Father's leading. Lord, I trust you fully. It is that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust the Lord with all of your heart. It's to bring yourself under God, under authority, under truth. It's to submit to him. It's to fully obey his word, to love his word, to look for his word, to obey his word. Thy kingdom come. Oh, Lord, you have a cup for me to drink? Mm. Can that pass for me? Is there some other way to get this done? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's to submit to authority, submit to God. It's to look to him. It's to rely upon him. It's to depend upon him. Humility. Humility is so crazy attractive. Are you attracted to your kids when they're humble? Anybody? Are you attracted to other people when they're humble? Humility is so attractive that it's like putting on the most irresistible cologne on the planet. God cannot pass you by. It is impossible for God to pass by a humble heart, a humble soul. Humility. Humility. Humility is what the ancients would clothe themselves in, in every struggle, in all trouble, in every difficulty, in every lack, in every need, in every situation. When war would rise up against them, humility. Humility is what they would clothe themselves in, and the primary showing forth that they would use to show God their humility was fasting. Fasting. Intentional humility. Lord, I need your attention. Does anybody need God's attention? I wish that we had time coming into something like this. I wish we had time for all of you to share the testimonies that you've had. Those of you that have had them from fasting. Because I think the testimonies alone would blow your mind. And stir and provoke and encourage you. That it is so worth whatever you set aside for God is so worth it. It is so worth it to humble yourself and say, God, not only, I I, I mean, I I can't do this. I've got to have you. Humility, humility is to, to bring him near. Humility is to bring me low 
and to bring him near. And that's so much of what we're doing. And that is, that is what David modeled. I mean, Daniel modeled over and over and over again. But he's not the only one, right? Esther, Mordecai, Ezra, Nehemiah, Paul. We could go through biblical figure after biblical figure, and we can find a place where they called upon God through fasting, where they humbled themselves. They even use that phraseology. And so I humbled myself through fa- I mean, they use that phraseology. Why? Because there's something about denying appetite. There's something about deny. There's something about choosing the bread from heaven. There's something about seizing myself through sacrifice for God's will. This is so much of what Daniel was doing. Daniel, Daniel, this was not that he would get a new car. This is not that he would get another breakthrough. How many of you know, sometimes your breakthrough is on the other side of paying attention to God. I'm telling you, God is, he is highly engaged in you. Matthew 6, 33, he knows what you need, but like Matthew says that Jesus proclaims, seek first the kingdom. Seek first Father's heart, his intention, his desire, what he's up to, what he wants to get accomplished. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things. Take the me through this 21 days. Take me and put me down low and put him up high. God, that you'd move in our nation. God, that you'd move in our president. God, that you'd move in our administration. God, that you'd move in our education. God, that you would move. God, that you would quench. Father, that you would quench the fiery darts of Satan against our children, against the innocent ones being born in our nation right now. That you would quench the fiery darts. We declare you silencing the work of Satan in our nation. That we would become the mouthpiece of God for 21 days, three times a day, three times a day, three times a day. Yeah, but I pray all the time. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Yeah, but a lot of that is just casual union with the Spirit. It's not warfare. It's not intentional. It's not all that powerful. The fervent prayer of a righteous man will move a mountain. And a lot of those things that you're doing throughout the day are just casual, friendly, union conversations. They aren't the moving of mountains. Don't tell me Jesus didn't converse with Father all the time. Don't tell me he didn't pray without ceasing. But every morning he went and met with God. Every morning he had a set time. The Jewish people had set times. They called it the hour of prayer. There's a reason they called it the hour of prayer. And then Jesus even says to the disciples, couldn't you tarry with me one hour? Why? Because they, they were used to a sacrifice of prayer being an hour. That God would use us. See, God uses your voice. This is crazy. This is, this is wild. But he deposits his word into your spirit. He quickens your soul with his word. But then he speaks through your voice. This is Isaiah 62. He says through the prophet, You that are watchmen, you that are prayer warriors, give me no rest. Give me no rest. 
give me no rest. Use your voice and give me no rest until I establish Jerusalem as a praise in the earth, until I turn things around, until you see me moving in such a way that the nations are trembling, that healing is coming, that restoration is moving, that the Spirit of God is rolling like a flood. Give me no rest, he says in Isaiah 62. See, this is part of what we do. We engage in the ministry of Jesus. You are an emissary of Jesus. And this is what Daniel discovered. And this is why Daniel set himself apart. And he said, okay, I'm going I'm to set myself apart. And even though he would frequently, Daniel 1, it's very clear, Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel 10, even though he would frequently, it's, it's obvious he had embraced a lifestyle like this, even though that's true, guess what? There was prayer built in three times a day, three times a day, getting before God. So, so yeah, he's, he's, he's changing his diet, but he's having those prayer times. Why? God used him. Chapter 9, chapter 10, the angel comes in both of those chapters and says, from the moment you set yourself to pray, we heard it, we began to move, things begin to shift, heavenly things begin to shift. When an earthly man said, God, I want you to move, I want you to do something, I want understanding, I want you to release this, I want... When an earthly man began to lay hold of God's will and began to engage with God's will, it released angelic forces, heavens began to shift, everything began to happen from the moment that it started, from the moment that he started to pursue. And I believe that's going to happen with you. Come on, let's stand today. I'm going to ask the band to come. It's going to happen with you. The moment you engage, the moment you begin to look to God, Is that the way God works? Oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. How many times have we had, how many times? We've been here 25 years. How many times have we had band rehearsal? We've had band rehearsal. And you, you, could, you could run through the auditorium with a net and not catch the anointing. I mean, you could have a tight woven net and not catch the anointing. You could be running through here during band rehearsal. And we're trying to get every note right. And we're trying to get everything set up. And we're trying to get the sound right. And we're trying to get it. And I mean, the anointing, I mean, he's literally just hanging out. But I'm telling you what, hundreds upon hundreds of times, the moment the service starts, you literally feel the anointing drop down in the atmosphere you could cut, you don't need a net you could cut it with a knife why because there are set times he calls us to set times so that he would increase and guess what happens when he increases guess what happens when i humble my heart and he comes near when i when i set myself for him guess what happens i end up a beneficiary I end up a beneficiary. I end up growing. I end up changing. I end up losing some stuff at Gilgal. Leaving some stuff there. Some junk. My life gets changed. My life gets changed. Oh, this is a this is a this is part of the challenge for us today. 
Take our Craigslist addiction. Take our Facebook addiction. Take our food addiction. Take our coffee addiction. Take our music addiction. Take our talk radio addiction. Take our soap opera addiction. I don't know what it is for you. But I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to make this a 21-day first fruits offering. I'm going to offer myself to you, Lord. Come on, I'm going to ask you to begin to come around the front just as I'm praying. Come and present yourself to the Lord. Just come. Let's just begin to come and say, yes, Lord, me. There's something powerful about saying, Lord, send me. We see it with Isaiah. We're living in a me-first world. The church has been seduced into a me-first mindset. But God calls us to a God-first world. The kingdom of God is a God-first world.